Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. We'll read from verse 2. Luke 3, verse 2. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of the God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. <laughs> 他就来到约翰约旦河一带地方
改为平淡。平，凡有血气的都要见神的救恩。Verse seven. Then he said to the multitudes and came out to be baptized by him. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, "We have Abraham as our father." For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And now, even now, the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, from the seventh day, John came out to baptize the multitude. He said, "Who is the multitude? Who is the one who is only trying to get 不要自己心里说有亚伯拉罕为我们的祖宗。我告诉你们，神能从这些石头中给亚伯拉罕兴起了子孙。现在啊，不，不子已经放在呃树根上，凡不结果子的树就砍下来丢在火里。Verse ten. So the people asked him, saying, "What shall we do then?" 众人问他说：“这样我们当怎么做做做什么呢 ？”And we know John responds to that question. 约翰就回答说 ：“Also from Matthew, just one verse,、uh, Matthew to add in the element, chapter three.” 所以在马太福音第三章里有一节圣经节。It describes John in chapter three, verse four. John himself was was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 啊，这约翰身穿骆驼毛的衣服，腰束皮带，吃的是蝗虫野蜜。As we consider this in the next scripture, I want us to be to be thinking about what it meant for those people to go to John the Baptist. 所以我让大家来看，就是为什么这些人会来到啊，使徒约翰那边。What did it mean to leave Jerusalem and go out to this? This man. So, leaving Jerusalem, to meet this man, what does it mean? We'd also like to turn to Acts 17. We also like to turn to Acts 17. We actually considered this passage in the gospel meeting in April. So, we in April, we considered this passage. But today, we're thinking about what it means. So, we today like to consider Like those in Athens to come to the Lord. 特别在雅典的那些人，他们来到主面前什么意思呢 ？So in Acts 17, so in verse 16, it talks about what happened when Paul went to Athens. 就说到保罗他往雅典那里去。And he says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. 看见满城都是偶像，就心里着急。And verse nineteen,、uh, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, saying, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting?" Verse twenty. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Because you have some strange things. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So Paul starts. Twenty-two. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, "Men of Athens, I perceive 
that in every way you are very religious. And then he starts to preach about who this real God is. And let's go down to um, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And I noticed the reaction. Now, when he had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the word of God that you have given us. We thank you that you have uh, shown us through your word these these events in history. And we thank you that we can watch how you moved uh, through people's lives. And we want to consider today, Lord, what it means for us to leave our, our culture, to leave behind what, what might hinder us. Lord, as we've been considering how you've been speaking to us, it's our desire that we be in a place where we can hear you and obey. When we call for overcomers, that we be those who yield to you. We not be those who say no. Or keep you out. Quicken your word for us today by your spirit. We trust in your Holy Spirit because without your move, Lord, we, we learn nothing, we see nothing. And, uh, in Jesus' name. So, what's been on my heart the last couple of months is this issue of culture. Now, part of that is because at the youth conference, we had the weekend conference, we were thinking so much about how the pressure of the current culture was uh, on the, on young people today. And that tr- that's true of, of all, all ages as well. 
those who work and live in Manhattan feel it. Those who are in their 20s and 30s feel a, a pressure from the culture around. And what does it mean for us? In terms of our response to the Lord. I'll give you a good example of culture. A couple of weeks ago, we had an open sharing. And our sister Mina talked about hugging people. Remember that? She came, from a, she came from a culture where you don't hug people all the time. Very, very rare. And she very carefully told us about how she was led to realize that in this situation with these people, hugging was very good. So from one culture, she was open to change. Now there's some places you go and they hug all the time. And maybe the Lord will lead them to hug less. But that's another thing. So culture, I need to define it. What I mean by culture today, we're talking about the beliefs and customs and art and me- multimedia today. And a culture can be the whole country has a culture. It also can be a particular group of people have a culture. Uh, when people change jobs, they notice a culture at work is very different than the one they were last at. So this culture is is around us and it reflects uh, those beliefs especially that people have. And it's a way of thinking and behaving and, and doing things. Now culture by itself is not good or bad. It's just there. Some cultures have a lot of positive good things influencing them. And some cultures are very, very dark. Now, uh, Ravi Zacharias, who's an um, uh, apologist, Ravi Zacharias, Sandy and I heard him on the radio, and he was talking about culture on one of his. Uh, Messages. And he says that religion is the essence of culture. And that culture is the dress of religion. And what he means by that is when we look at culture, culture is what we see. But underneath that, 但是在他的背后, is religion. Now today in our modern world, we think people aren't even religious. But if you really think in terms of religion being, how do you seek God and what do you believe about God? 
Even if you believe there is no God or you can't know God, that's your religion. And if you believe there is no God, it will show in your culture. You may not think about it during the day, oh, I believe there's no God. But our thoughts and our actions will reflect that. What we say to other and then a good example or way to see, uh, understand this is that when we consider other cultures some cultures make it very hard to come to the Lord because when you when you hear about Christ and, and start hearing the truth about Christ it it goes against what you've grown up with and what you understand. So today we're thinking about that. How does culture limit us in coming to the Lord? But we also want to look in our hearts. How does culture limit us? As believers, are we limited? in our following the Lord. Now, in the last couple of months, we've been considering a lot about what, what the Lord has shown us in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. So think of that, that, that our Lord is when He stood among those seven churches. How he was calling people out. In a sense, out of those seven churches, five of them had very negative cultures. They'd, they'd, they'd slide away from the Lord. They'd lost their, their, their clarity before the Lord. So whether it was a false idea or whether they just become lazy and comfortable in themselves, if you lived, if you were in that group of believers, you would find that was that was the culture and that was the way that was the way you would be. And yet we find the Lord in very dramatic way knocking on the outside and saying, You've left me out. And so many ways the Lord is saying, when he calls to the overcomer, that last call is saying, leave, be free of that culture and follow me. It's a call to individuals say, don't be held back by what's going on around you. Come back to your master. Line yourself up with the shepherd. And 
And so that's what's on on our on our my heart and us are sharing today is on this whole idea. So let's look at what happened with Paul in Athens again. And we look at it from a culture point of view. Actually, it would help out if we look at Acts chapter, look just prior to that in chapter 17, in verse 11, we see a very different culture. Because Paul had come from Thessalonica and then he had gone to Berea and then he came to Athens. And Berea is a very special place when it comes to culture. Uh, Notice it says here, now these Jews, verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, and with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. See, this is a very positive culture, wasn't it? Because the Jews are and the Greeks who, who were interested in the in the scriptures of God, they were really looking for the truth. So when Paul came, they didn't laugh at him and they didn't uh, do other things. They took what his words were and they went and studied the scriptures. So is this true? So that's a very positive culture. Because their culture was about finding the truth of God and therefore they they responded. Well, then, then Paul goes to Athens, which is famous for being the center of a, a, a Greek culture, philosophy, religion, all that. And he said he goes there and he sees all these statues and idols. And he's very educated, so Paul knew all these different kinds of gods that they worship. And his spirit, his spirit is provoked. There's an inner grief as he realizes all these people are worshiping all these false gods. I had two trips to Chennai, India, as part of my work. And the first time I went, I was very interested in the cultural stuff, visiting, visiting the temples and things. The second time I went, I visited some of the same temples. But when I went to the second time, it was, it was hard. Because by that time I realized that most of my Indian colleagues who
It wasn't like Westerners who had this little interest in meditation or some light thing like that. They really believed. They had their statues. They really believed. And these are, these are educated people, software engineers. And they tell me about when they go home, they go up to a particular mountain because they have a special God that's special for them. So when I visited and watched these people coming in to these priests and doing all their things, it just grieved my heart. This nation is filled with millions and millions of people worshiping false gods. So Athens was filled with a false religion. It wasn't Hindu, but it was just this, the Greek religion. So and, and, and Paul went, he was grieved inside. And then they went and asked him to share. Notice the way they asked him was, "Come tell us, tell us something new." We want to learn something new. Come join our religion party so we can debate some things. So, Paul, you share your new ideas, and we can compare them, and then we can make fun of them. We can talk about them. Now that doesn't happen around here, does it? Here in this culture, we're always looking for something new. This diet will fix your life. Whatever. So they're looking for something new, and Paul, Paul shares with them. Very boldly, we see in verse 22, when he starts out, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, there are two words that get translated religion into English. Um, I don't know about the Chinese. And one of the words is, not this one, one of the words that's translated religion is describing doing uh, ritual acts including Old Testament type activity. So in New Testament it says that kind of really it can be good or it also can be maybe empty. But Paul used a very strong different word religion here. It's actually translated in some places superstition. And and the word actually literally means to fear false gods. So a very bold statement. And I you know when I was pondering this and thinking about our culture here, I thought, well we're not religious because most people don't care about religion. But that's not true. <laughs> As Rabbi Zachariah says, the culture underneath it is a religion. 
So among our young people in Manhattan and among young youth, we there is a religion. It's relativist. It's all about living for yourself. What's good for me now? Oh, well, that's nice. You do this Christian thing. Well, that's not right for me. That's not my truth. So there is a religion in our that's behind our culture. So if Paul were here, he could say, you are very religious. You spend your time fearing and chasing gods who aren't real. That's what he said about them. Applies to us. And contrast that with the, those at back at Berea. Those guys seem to be interested in finding the truth. Whereas one in Athens, they're just entertaining themselves. And look at their reaction in verse 32. It says here, after he that they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We will hear you again. You have mockery and you have curiosity. That's the reaction. And that's the way things are today in this country. If you speak boldly of Christ, like not just that he was a man, but he was the Son of God and was raised from the dead. You can be expected to be mocked. That's where we are now. Especially among young. But thank God we see in verse 34 not everybody was like that. Because in verse 34 some men joined him and believed. So some ignored all that and they they joined with Paul and, and and listen to what he said. And it says they believed. And then it mentions two people. Dionysius the Areopagite. And a lady named Damaris. Let's consider these two. As we think about that culture they came out of. First, Damaris. That's the 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 woman that's mentioned by Luke as he writes this. And the commentators say this most likely a distinguished lady, probably from outside Athens, who was visiting and studying things. We don't much know much about her, but it's very, very striking. One, that a woman is mentioned. Yes, a beautiful 特别, thing. Uh, 特别因为这边有个富人被提起来, 
And the way she believed and followed the Lord must have been so striking that others remembered and, and talked about it. That's how Luke found out about it and put her name in it. Now the other one is even more interesting. Dionysius the area now Paul, as we found out earlier in scriptures, that he was asked to speak at the Areopagus. Now that's that from what I understand, and I'm sure Christian Chen's been been there and touched the thing. It's a huge rock. And what they do at the Areopagus is they had they used to have trials, murder trials at that location. Interesting. Because it's a place of judgment. And it says Dionysius, the Areopagite, it suggests, it says, that he was probably a judge. So maybe his job was to be a judge in these trials. By the way, that rock is later called Mars Hill, which is kind of famous. But think about this man as a judge. What's your job as a judge in a murder case? It's to seek the truth about a life and death matter. That's what a judge is supposed to do. He's supposed to find the truth of all this talk. So maybe this this guy had this heart for the truth. And when Paul came, he was interested in the truth, not what the culture was telling. Now what's more dramatic is his name. He was named Dionysius, which was derived from the Greek god Dionysius. So his very name was based on a Greek god. By the way, that name is passed down through history, and we have someone in our midst who has the name Dennis, which comes from that. What a tradition. So, but think about that. That's your name. But now let's think about this God. I have to tell you about this God a little bit. So Just to inform Dennis. Dennis He's the God of wine. The God of the grape harvest. The God of partying. The God of ritual madness. Oh, that does that fit the United States now? 
Voyages. Uh, ritual magic <laughs> blew you out, right? Okay. okay. Sorry. Religious Sorry. ecstasy. Uh, so it's just it's the Zongjiao the Zongkuan. Now I got younger people relate to this. So when I go to the gym, there's this music, you know, I'm playing. It's mo- it's modern music. So when I go to the gym, there's this music, you know, I'm playing. I used to be singing a lot of love songs. Now almost eight out of ten songs is basically kind of dance music. So, uh, e so all the singers trying to outdo each other to, to sing to do party songs. Let's celebrate, let's party, let's party, let's party. That's what life is. Like celebrate what? So you know someone? They're not living. <laughs> All they're doing is partying. And getting drunk. So this is their God, Dionysus. They're celebrating Dionysus. Even today. He's also the God of theater, so theater uh, comes out of the tradition. Yeah, and, I could, and it gets worse actually. But since we're in this culture of gender confusion, he was also known for being some of feminine, kind of like a womanly man. So think about that one. Gender confusion is not a new thing. So anyway, that's your name. That's his name. He's named after this god. But how wonderful that Dionysius believed in Jesus Christ. Think of what he left behind when he was doing that. His culture, his Athenian culture, his namesake. He left that all behind All because he just listened to Paul telling the truth. He tested the truth and he was So how about you? When you came to know Christ, what did you leave behind? Were you an atheist? Were you an agnostic? Most of us in America are not agnostic, meaning you can't know God. That's what we believe. Some of you in this room were devout Buddhists. And you had to leave that behind if you really believe in Christ. And maybe we have some in here who are Hindu. So In American culture we have a lot of people involved in what I'll call non believing Christianity. In other words, Christian churches, but they don't really believe that Christ is the Son of God. That was my culture, and if I came to the Lord, I had to leave that behind. Because I was just, I would mock Christians who believe who Jesus really is. I thought they were stupid. So that was my culture. 
So what culture did you leave in order to come to Christ? Now to just make this a little more clear, I want to talk just a little about Hindu culture. Just because it's such an extreme example and in some ways it's frighteningly similar to current culture here in the United States. According to Ravi Zacharias, he's from India, he was explaining that there are many core beliefs that a Hindu believes that can't change. Like the doctrine of reincarnation, that you're going to come back in another life. And the doctrine of karma, that what you do in this life will lead to what's in the next life. But they also they also believe that there's different ways to live, three distinct ways positive ways to live. the way of philosophy. And even you can be a philosopher who doesn't believe in any any gods. That's okay if that's your that's your uh, that's what this life you're supposed to do. The second was devotional ritual. In other words, like a monk, you go off and you live your whole life as a monk. But the third way is karma yoga, which is you just do the best with the life you have. And then another belief is that every person chooses their path. The problem is, as some of you know, if you've shared with Hindus, the problem is that it's okay to be a Christian as just my role in this life, even though I'm going to come back as something else. Let me put it another way. If you get to if you get to know Hindus and many of us are in our work lives, they will be very respectful of people like us who have who meet and care about our religion. They're very respectful. But that's because they look at me and say, oh, well, that's your, th- that's what you're supposed to do in this life. That's your thing. When a Hindu considers really believing in the one true God, who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, part of that one true God, and that we live one life and then we pass into eternity. 
That means that person has to leave behind all of those core beliefs. So this just means that this person has to leave behind all of those And some of us as watchers, people who come to believe in the Lord or almost believe, and then this, all this pressure pulls them back. So without God's miracle touch, you almost say it's impossible. But God does do the impossible. And He does intervene. And when we meet Hindus and share Christ, we really, really have to pray. Because just what we say is not going to change allow someone to step away from that whole way of thinking. Now, I don't know Buddhists well, but many of you may be thinking, well, same applies to Buddhism. Same applies when you visit Taiwan. Some of you are aching inside. And you have friends and family who are deeply Sincerely Buddhist. So, let's keep praying for them. And even as we see how hard it is, that doesn't mean God can't do it. So we see that extreme example among among those who are Hindu. But I just want to say again, if we consider our youth and our young adults, and and uh, a couple of weeks ago, Sandy and I were visiting Manhattan gathering, people in their twenties and their thirties. And I happen to work at a company where I am really the old man. Everybody's in their twenties and thirties. A few of them have little kids. I'm the old guy. There is a strong culture there. Now it's not Hindu, but in some ways it's kind of similar because it's people are just doing their own thing. It's okay for me to do this Christian thing, but it's very different for for young people today to hear that maybe truth is absolute. Today it's all about my truth and your truth. It's nothing really absolute. Anyway, so we have that problem all around us. That people have to leave that culture if they come to Christ. Now, our brother Elisha was sharing about the saints in India. When you realize what a small minority Christians are and how powerful the Hindu culture is, the natural reaction is to say, it's hopeless. But among the saints that he used to meet with and grow up with, you know what they do almost every week? They go out and preach the gospel. And they suffer much for it. They go out boldly and preach the gospel. So may that encourage us. And then we see what did Paul do when he was here in Athens. Now Athens, he's facing this culture. How did he preach? 
We won't take time to look at the words again, but Paul was very bold. First, he says you're very religious. Then he says, there's a statue, the unknown God. I'm going to tell you about the God you don't know. And then he immediately describes a God who is the creator of all. He's not saying, you have all your gods, I'm going to show you a little bit better God. I'll show you some, someone who's, who's more interesting. No, he says, I'm going to talk about the God who created everything and gave you your breath. All religions have their buildings and they have they think their gods live in the buildings. This is a God who's so huge he can't be in any building. So Paul spoke very boldly about who God really is. And then very, very importantly, he preached Jesus and his resurrection. He proclaimed the man Jesus Christ. As we read, after talking about who God is, then he speaks of, in verse 30 and 31, he speaks of the fact that God has going to judge the world in righteousness by a man. Now, isn't it interesting that he was at the Areopagus? That's the place of murder trials. The place of life and death judgment. And Paul boldly says here, God is going to judge us all, and it's going to be the man, Jesus Christ. And you know he's the right one because he was raised from the dead to prove it. So we should take encouragement from how Paul uh, was so bold. He didn't present a new religion or a new philosophy. He didn't present a new uh, man-made religion. He didn't even present a Christian culture. Like he didn't say, hey, if you become a Christian, it's a lot nicer. We have good lunches. And if you're lucky, Mina will hug you. No, he wasn't preaching a culture. He's proclaiming Jesus, the man who's the Son of God, our judge and our king. And he didn't do it there, but beyond that, you know that every time Paul was there in these cities, a group of believers would come together and they would start worshiping. And there would Christ be in their midst. So the group of believers in all those cities, even if they were small, they were proclaiming the man, Jesus Christ, meeting and worshiping. So in different cities, they would proclaim Jesus Christ. 
is not about selling a religion or a culture. So we we really receive much from Paul's example. Now as we consider others how hard it is to come from a culture to Christ. Let's now in the time we have left, we want to consider what about us? What about our culture? Are we limited by our culture? Are we free enough from our own culture to be a follower of Christ? Now, many of you, how many of you have had to exit your culture just to come to the Lord? Now, we, we, like any other place, we have a culture here. And are we here just because we like the culture? Does it match what we like? Or is there something more? Have you received something from the Lord that makes it so you must find where the Lord wants you to be? In other words, are you here because of culture or are you here because the Lord wants you here? You almost have to be somewhere where uh, the Lord Jesus is in charge. But when I was meditating on this, this whole picture comes back from John the Baptist. So if we go back to, to Luke 3, we, need to, we want to put ourselves in the position of those who came out of where they were, mostly in Jerusalem, to see John the Baptist. So Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem where the Pharisees are. Or if you're liberal, you would say uh, that's where the Sadducees are. So here is John the Baptist eating locusts out in the wilderness. Why would you go out to why would you go out to this wild man in the wilderness? Wild man? So you, you go out there and what does he do? He greets you with a warm Mina hug. No, 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 no. He says, he greets you with, you vipers. <laughs> you scum. <laughs> Why are you here? Oh, well, I'll just go. Why would they do that? And he says, you got to repent and be baptized. Why? Why were these people willing? Think about it. That's not for the fun of it. They knew in their heart. 
that there was something horribly wrong in Jerusalem. They knew the temple was there, but everything around it was corrupt. The trading in the marketplace was corrupt. The leadership was correct. Everybody had answered a pilot who's a Roman ruler. This isn't what God wants. And those who were really looking for God, they they were aching inside. They if they had a sense from from scripture and from prayer that God was going to do something, it had to be different. So they heard about this wild man, this John the Baptist, they went out to to hear. I think they went out with a deep sense that God, the God of the universe, had had a better way. Many of them were pleading in their hearts, God, do something. Where are you? Where is this Messiah? But notice that when they went to John and he right away asked them to repent, it wasn't just they were thinking, oh, there's a problem in Jerusalem. They were willing to look inside and say, oh, the problem is in me. Maybe those Pharisees are horrible hypocrites and I see it every day, but John's pointing at me. And this problem starts here. The answer starts here. I am the problem and I have to repent. I need to repent and then maybe God's going to do something. And that's what they did. Those who were baptized were willing to do that. And notice what they did after they were baptized. It's beautiful. They said, What can we do? They didn't just stop there. They said, What can we do? And then put, um, and and John gives them very practical things. So give a tunic away. So don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Ever looked at the whole state of Christendom? In other words, what's the situation of all believers? And cried out to God and said, There there must be more than this. God, you must want more than this. As an expression of your son. Maybe that's our situation. Just like these who came out to John, they're saying, God, you're, you must 
want more than this. 就像这些人来到约翰面前，就说：“神啊，你的工作一定超乎这个。” we see the wonderful fruit from the baptism of, uh, that people went through. If you look a little bit later in, in Luke three. 所以你看路加福音第三章第二十九节怎么说？ Verse 29. Whoops. Oh, Luke 7, sorry. So, Luke 7, 29. Much later. It says, When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Uh, yes, uh, so you can see here when John the Baptist came and created a big divide among the people, those who are willing to humble themselves and be baptized by John, they were wide open. For the Lord, and they were ready to receive him. In fact, that's what Isaiah meant by paving the way. Those people were were paved. A way was paved, created for God to move freely because they repented. So Isaiah, 就是这个意思，就是先有人来，就是来到他面，把为他铺了一条路。But those who had rejected John the Baptist, who weren't willing to repent, who said, "No way, it's not me," they also were in a place where they were very resistant to Christ. So the point is, if we have this heart that those people did, the positive heart, we want to be in a place where we're free to follow Christ when He asks us to go and do. And when God asks us to do something in our families, in our in our daily life, are we going to say to him, well, no, no, that's not my culture. I don't do it that way. In fact, that's not the way my family did it, or that's not the way people do it in my church. Are we limited by our culture? So let's just finish up by thinking more about ourselves, each one of us. Let's have a couple extreme examples from my life. Thirty-five years ago, I left Louisville, Kentucky, and came to New York City. That was a culture shock. Yeah, quiet suburb to East 617th Street. So why was I there? Well, I had a job offer. I was so scared, I put up all the extra grates, on, uh, um, window guards on the, guard, on the window. I didn't just put them on the back where the fire escape was. I put them on the windows that you couldn't get to unless you do the rope. 
我还把它在那个你除非你用那个绳子从上面跳下来也才能到了那个窗子我也放一个铁架。What an apartment, it was such a beautiful place.是很美好的一个公寓。The when Sandy and I got married, she never was allowed to live there. Anyway, why was I there? Well, it was just a job. It was also because the brothers and sisters in Louisville told us about brothers and sisters in New Jersey, and brothers and sisters in New Jersey told us that there was this group that met in Queens. Do you have a meeting? I don't know if you remember what you said, but so I knew there was a group. It didn't have to be big. I was only a believer now two and a half years, but but somehow there was a job offer and there was a group there, and I didn't want to go somewhere without fellowship, and that was it. From one culture leaving it to another. But as a non-believer, I had to leave, I mentioned, my worldly culture or the the non-believing culture to actually believe in Christ. And the brothers and sisters in Louisville, that fellowship, they had a very strong personality, a very strong culture. The teacher that led me to the Lord, he's the one who worshiped there. And I thought they were wonderful, and I thought this is how all Christians meet and this is how they pray and this is how they worship. Then I came to Queens. Not the same. So that was a culture change. Okay, they don't do it like they do it in Louisville. No, here we have Chinese and American. We have Brother Tio going... Well, I don't know if Brother Tio was there. Then. Anyway, it was, it was all this variety. And then I go visit Glassboro, South Jersey, and they're different too. Hosea in his garage. Oh, and then Long Island, Huntington, Manitouk, Dana Tonga, and Ernie Heil, and all those Italians. They didn't worship the same way either. But they loved the Lord, and they met at his table. Their culture was different. But somehow I could see that well, the culture in the Louisville meeting in Queens and Glassboro, the culture is not the culture is personality. What matters are people really following the Lord. So thank God when the Lord shows us that the culture is not it. We follow the Lord. So many of you can look back and think, what culture did you leave to, to meet and follow Christ? And the question for us today is, have you had a similar experience as a believer 
being willing to leave whatever culture we're in. So, have you had a situation where you you had a Jerusalem and you you understood that this isn't where God is and God wants something new? Do you sense the Holy Spirit saying, like John the Baptist, you need to repent? You need to to be open to something new God is showing you. And be free to follow your shepherd. So, and we've we have really found in the last couple of months how the Lord wants us to see that the small things, our relationships, our families, our marriages is where the action is. So is Christ knocking at the door of your life? Is he saying to his sister or brother, you need to separate yourself from that culture you have? Even though it feels comfortable, it may even feel right. But Christ says to you, I want to I want to be in. I want to be in, not out. I want to be in your life and the master. I want you to be able to follow me. That's what he said to the churches. He says it to all of us. So if we cling to our culture, whatever that is, if we refuse to repent, then how can he do a new thing in your life? Right now, what do you want to do? Thank you, Lord. Let's have a few minutes of prayer. Let's feel people feel that.